Hello and welcome to Three Pillars Lifestyle. I am JC, aka Lady Carnivory, and I'm joined here with my co-host, Brian. Hi everyone, I'm Brian Cruz. Find me on Instagram at pt.briancruz. In our first episode, we talked about the challenge with challenges uh, with September now halfway over. I think we've all seen a lot of people hopping on board of these 30-day fitness challenges or 75 hard, etc. And we kind of talked about the pros and cons of doing challenges and or commitments to start off your fitness journey. So today we thought we would talk about the alternatives, how uh, Brian would recommend someone actually start their fitness journey. So Brian, do you have any initial thoughts? So I think one of the things that people need to realize is that they have to come to terms with the notion, am I ready? It's one thing to say, yeah, I want to get fit. Yeah, I want to jump on this bandwagon. Yeah, I want to do this with my friend. But to really look in and and say, yeah, no, no, I'm ready for this. I'm going to commit to this. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes to be successful to do this, right? Even if it is just for 30 days, right? Um, any kind of fitness journey is going to create waves, right? Um, whether it be at home, at work, amongst your friends, socially. So you've got to be prepared for that as well, right? And I think that's one of the biggest things that people fail to realize how much of an impact their choice will actually have on the world around them or their immediate world around them. So when I was doing fitness consultations, I know that one of the um ways to quote unquote sell someone personal training it was to actually address well will you have support at home to have an idea whether or not you know their spouse would be supportive or not and in that instance that was when we would ask that question or if we ever asked that question it was more to kind of highlight to them that your failures won't be contingent on you. It'll be the fact that you won't be able to rely on certain people. So it's kind of bringing it to the forefront and say, well, this is going to be something that you're going to want to do. You're in, you know, you're alone. Right. Um, and then possibly, you know, find people in the gym or join the gym with people that are going to be supportive because they've got equal, equal um, goals to accomplish. Yeah, and that was something we talked about in our first episode where one of the benefits of joining a challenge is the community you create around it and having that support system and not necessarily accountability, but someone who you can go to and say, like, I did this today and have that support back for you. So I could definitely see how having that support system at home or in your life would be super important, especially when you're first getting started. So once you've established whether or not you're going to have support or whether or not you who you can turn to for support, then it's a matter of, well, what are you going to do? You know, you can go online and you can find all of these challenges. You can join. Lately, from what I had seen, was there were a lot of these um, these high-intensity type training facilities like Orange Theory, uh, what is it, F45s popping up. And just before the pandemic, they, were, they started to pick up, right? Unfortunately, or fortunately, because of the pandemic, they weren't as popular because you are training in a a smaller confined area you're sharing equipment you're breathing on each other so i think that's a business model that that really had to uh pivot really really well in order to be able to reopen 
uh, across the states, across Canada. I don't know what the states are doing in order to in order for those business models to work here. I don't believe they're open just yet. Yeah, I've seen like online classes available where you can still have that group experience, but it's from your own home. Um, and then I think it really depends state to state or even area to area whether or not things are open here. Let's presume that you're going to not go to a facility. Then you want to figure out, well, what am I going to do? What's available to me? And one of the fi- first things that people will do is they'll go for runs, which I don't have a problem with running. But um, as I've said to you and, and to many clients, repetitiveness will cause injury right? So there's nothing wrong with running if that's the sport that you've chosen. No different than hockey, football. If that's the the chosen sport, then your body is going to adapt to the exact same movements over and over again, right? Professional athletes, they, you know, they're not the healthiest in the sense that they need help with their trainers, the physios, massage therapists, ice cold baths. So, you know, they're getting paid the big bucks because they're talented, but their body is wearing down, right? Now, for the average Joe, for a general population, we're not getting paid to run, to play hockey. So you have to kind of really decide what's going to make sense to me in the long run. So um, what I've always really promoted is some sort of weight training, resistance training, full body movement, uh, movement in different planes, right? Um, You know me, I... I fully support yoga, Pilates, all that stuff. Anything that is going to bring your weaknesses to the forefront, make you aware of them and teach you or show you how to strengthen them. Because once you strengthen those weaknesses, you're able to actually move, ambulate, live, live your, your life, your, your activities of daily life will actually come to pass without greater risk of injury or or hurt or any kind of discomfort. Mm. I think a lot of people turn to running because it seems so straightforward and easy. And I know that's not true. Like there is technique to running and long distance runners or whatever type of running you're doing, whether it be long distance or shorter distance, et cetera. They have different techniques and skills they learn to make sure their running is safe or safer for their bodies. Um, So I think it it feels more accessible than like weight training where you are lifting, um, if not at first heavy, but eventually I think the goal should be heavier loads. I think people just get really nervous about doing it safely, especially when they're starting out on their own. So how would you recommend somebody approach that? Well, um, so when I would, let's say interview or or I would uh, do a fitness evaluation on someone, I would always ask them to do a couple of movements that I believe are natural. So for example, a squat test, but not, it's not a pass or fail. It's more like, let me observe you. Right. Hmm. Most people don't squat properly. Most people don't squat at all because for whatever reason, we have a tendency to, to bend out at our backs and whatnot. And so we don't really have, or we lose great mobility in our hips we tend to not really move our knees much and therefore our hamstrings and our calves get really tight as well. That's one of the first things. Show me how you squat. Weighted, unweighted, doesn't matter. Your squat pattern should be sound, right? And if it isn't, then my job as a trainer is to identify, well, why is it? Is it because you're too tight or is it because you're too weak, right? In some instances, it's a bit of both. And so, and I've said this to some, some of my clients, a squat is a squat is a squat, how you execute 
which variation is going to be dependent on what works for you mm. in in that moment of time, right? So I've had some people, they can't do freestanding squats because it doesn't feel right or it hurts. So I've actually had them do pseudo freestanding where they're using the exercise ball against the wall. The wall, the ball is supporting them from their lower back. And as they squat, they're relying on that ball to roll up to their middle back, upper back to support them. So they're able to do a squat there, but um, it's easier in terms of the mechanics, their hips, their knees, and their ankles are moving, but it's not putting any pressure on their lower back, which is often what's going to take most of the work if you're not squatting properly. So then from there, then I look at um, their pushing and pulling pattern for their upper body. And so again, I'll, I'll say, okay, well, let's do your, your pushups and I'll watch them. And most people can't do pushups properly, number one. Number two, they don't have the strength for it. So we modify it. I like to do elevated pushups. When I designed your first program, I said, do it on the, on the Smith machine because you're able to uh, change the height of the bar. And so the idea is as you start to get stronger, you find yourself going lower and lower and lower eventually onto the floor. So you're still getting the benefit of a pushup, but without the added frustration of I can't do a pushup, mm -hmm. right? And then of course, you've got the pulling movements where and this is what I talked about in the last episode where I had said we have a lot of imbalances, especially when it comes to kyphosis, where your body, your upper body is rolled forward because we're on devices, we're on computers, we're, we're at our desks, we're driving. So the pulling movement is equally, if not more, uh, more important than the pushing movement. So in, in general, um, most trainers that I've ever worked with or that I've mentored, I've always said, try to do a two or three to one ratio pull to push because think about it if all day you're at a desk all day you're driving all day so that's essentially shortening your pushing movement so why not for about an hour train your pulling movement a little bit more in excess so at the very least we're trying to balance that out mm -hmm. so pulling movements are important i think that's probably where people are going to realize how weak they really are and with pulling movements it's something as simple as, you know, you can use a cable, you can use a band, you can use your own body weight. There are some things that you can use, um, buy for home, like, again, the infamous TRX. You can buy that, get a door, a door frame uh, adapter, and you can train at home. So there's a lot of different things. I think the biggest, the biggest three movements that people need to work on for sure is their upper body push, upper body pull, and then their squatting pattern. From there, the next level would be the hip hinging pattern, and then of course, overhead pressing of, of some sorts, because most people have a tendency to have really shortened lats and poor posture, and therefore it inhibits them from being able to reach overhead, which then causes a lot of neck pain and whatnot in activities of daily life. That was very convoluted, but those are the, the pattern, movement patterns that I would ask people to take a look at when they're looking to start a program. Okay, and what I'm hearing from you is that there's a huge benefit to having a professional take a look at their not only their form but also designing the program to make sure it's going to benefit them in the long run when we talked about the challenges we talked about how a lot of them are squats and push-ups and you spoke a lot about why that is maybe not ideal for a lot of people um and for the form i think a lot of people are just really scared of hurting themselves so would that be your recommendation is to work with someone at least at the beginning just to make sure their form is safe and they're not going to do damage to themselves in the longer term 
Most definitely. Yeah. Um, I've had people come into the gym, you know, they've been training with me for a while and something as simple as I was brushing my teeth and I bent over to spit and I pulled my back and I'm like, okay, hold on a second. From my perspective, bending over to spit is a hip hinge. That's how I see it. Right. And I'm like, so you, uh, I'm training you and I've been having you, you know, deadlift 135 pounds, you know, how to hip hinge. But when you went to go spit, you didn't hip hinge. So it's kind of like, like, why did you not do that? So I think a lot of it has to do with um, being less mindful of it and and less respectful of what your body is capable and, and un- incapable of doing. So yes, hire a professional to at the very least assess what you can and can't do. It's not a matter of, I want to exercise, let's go. Well, yeah, that's great. That's that's your mental fortitude that you're inspired, you're, you're motivated. That's great. But you need to be able to identify what your body is physically capable of doing. And if you're goal oriented, that's even better because then what will be some, in some instances, I've never worked with the squat right from the get go. I might have to teach people how to do a step up because they're incapable of doing a proper squat. So the next best thing, what's functional, a step up because you climb upstairs, you walk up hills. So, um, you know, People that haven't been training for most of their lives, all of a sudden they reach 50, 60, 70. They're like, I want to start exercising. Okay, well, we're not squatting. I'm going to try to get you to do step ups. You know, intermittently, I might throw in some box squats where you're squatting on on an elevated surface. But again, by no means are you going, you know, um, parallel to the floor or beyond parallel. Identifying what you can and can't do is very integral um, in terms of wanting to be able to progress to get stronger, but also longevity, right? No sense in trying to have Susie, who's never worked out, squat, and then all of a sudden, three weeks into it, she pulls something. Now it takes her three weeks to get over it. After three weeks, she may not even come back, mm. right? So that's that's something um, that I've always had to think about when it comes to program designing. Is there a level of inexperience that I'm working with? And if so, then how do I translate into real life? Um, going back to upper body rows, there had been some instances where I can't get someone to do a bent over row of any kind, right? Whether it's a machine or, or dumbbells. So instead I would set them up on a cable, on a cable machine, have the pulley set up at maybe waist to rib height and have them stand staggered and pull and then teach them how to row properly. Right now, how does that translate into real life? Again, I'm trying to identify these. This is why we're doing it. Well, every time you open a door, going to the mall, going to the office, going, you're pulling, you're doing a row. So now they start to identify, oh, okay, this is what I do every day. So I'm kind of trying to get them a little bit more invested in what they're doing. It may not be fancy to start off with, but at the very least, they should start to identify or realize, you know, hey, when I'm going to, to, the, to the office, I'm able to open that heavy door much easier. You know, I'm going up the, the flight of stairs and I'm not getting as winded, right? So these are the little little wins that you want your clients to, to be able to um, identify as they start going through their journey. Again, <laughs> I went off on a tangent, but um, as I said, getting someone to be able to identify these, these exercises for you and be able to kind of sift through, yeah, yeah, this is a squat, but it's not appropriate for you right now. Let's do this and then we'll come back to that, right? That is important. Because like I said, you don't want to hurt yourself and then it's just going to kibosh what you're, what you're intending to do. 
Yeah. And kind of going back to the first thing you were talking about, about being mentally ready to get started. How would you recommend somebody get into that mind space? I recently had a conversation with All Out Life Carnivore, Justin, and he was saying like a lot of people when they go to start a new diet, it's not necessarily the actual nutrition or the food that they need help with. It's the mindset and just being really aware about what they're doing and why they're doing it. So how do you find the right why motivator for people? I think it's not my job to convince people that they're ready. That's that's my approach, right? Mm -hmm. Do you think that my my job is to enlighten them to the broader broader picture? Let's call this woman Susie. Susie comes in and she's like, you know, I'm older, I'm 40, 50, I want to lose some weight, you know, been married, children, blah, 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 this, that, and the other. And she's completely focused on, I want to lose weight, I want to lose weight. Okay, great. But you and I and most of our listeners will know weight isn't necessarily the right metrics to 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 look at success and so i have to get susie to understand that we're looking at exercising to improve physical health mental health and then of course that all falls into i'm going to lose some body weight because i'm eating better i'm i'm being more active number one then number two all associated to again everyday life right so do you find yourself you know having trouble going up the stairs yes i do okay well these are things that we're going to be working on right do you have any grandchildren yes well you know do you have trouble picking them up well yes of course they're they're 30 pounds okay well these are the things that we're, we're going to be working on so that as you age you're able to play with your grandchildren so now i i take away the notion of this is just about aesthetics and i get them invested into well what else is health and fitness gonna gonna do for me right Ideally, if they understand that and if they're not too hard headed, right, um, and they buy into it, then we're both going to be able to work together and I'm going to have them do exercises or, or, or follow a program that is going to give them what they want. But I've, I've also now identified what they need. And so I kind of I'm able to marry that, whether it's with me or with it with any other trainer, you want to be able to work with someone that understands that there are other needs outside of just the aesthetics. Once again, and getting someone invested in the program outside of just, I want to look good, is probably the best way for them to start and to stay with it. Because now, you know, once again, you, you've identified, yeah, I, I get winded going up the stairs. A week or two, maybe three weeks into the future, you could say, so So you were saying, hi, you know, you were having trouble going up the stairs. How is it now? They're going to have to look back and say, no, no, it's actually better. Right. So the scale may not have dropped. Right. But they're getting stronger and they're not getting wind and going up the stairs. I'd say that's a win. Right. And so these are the conversations that you have to have with your clients or your you as a client you want to have with your trainer. Absolutely. I know that for me, I tell a lot of people to throw their scales away. It's just not a good indicator of if they're reaching their goals, even if someone has a goal of fat loss, if they are working out, if they are eating a lot of protein and just a nutritionally dense diet at the same time, very likely they're going to gain muscle mass as well. And so even if the numbers on the scales don't move, it doesn't mean that they're not meeting their body recomposition goals. So how would you recommend somebody shop for a personal trainer? You know what? I think it has a lot to do with personality. When I was working in the, in, in the gym, I was the technical advisor. I was the, the guy that sold the training. And I also kind of oversaw, you know, I think it was about 20 trainers at, at the highest. 
and I got to know all of them. I had, I had my hand in hiring them as well. So let's say you, JC, you come to me and you say, well, I want to, I want to train. I would always get to know you, get to know what your goals were, what your preferences were. Right. So, you know, you might say, well, I like, I like cycling. Okay. So I'm going to see if I can put you with someone who, who has cycled before, who understands cycling so that at least you have some sort of camaraderie um, surrounding your activities as well. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I'll, I'll tell you a really quick, funny story. When I first started training, I was handed this gentleman to help him, you know, lose weight, get trim and whatnot. He was like six something. I'm five, seven. This guy was six something, big, big mustache, big burly man and very stone faced. And I was training him and kind of make, making him go through this, go through this, go through that. And he had this attitude. And I, and I, and I know that he was being this way with me, very, very um, assertive with me, right? Alpha male. And it was so funny, just out of the blue, I, I asked him, I go, so do you know, like, I, I want to work on your breathing, because it looks like the way that you're, you're when you're lifting, you're not breathing well, I go, do you know what diaphragmic breathing is? It is like, well, yes, I'm uh, perform on stage, I, I do musicals. And I was like, really, that's cool. I go, I used to sing in choir in high school. And then all of a sudden, we were best, best of friends, he introduced me to his wife. And, and it, was, it was really, really cool. And you know what, years later, even like, you know, he'd come up on my Facebook and hey, how's it going? You know, I'd run into them in, into, the, into the, the, the little town that I live in, you know, so building rapport is, is one thing, but having rapport right from the get go is important, too, because you want to make sure that, you know, you're not going to hate the person that you're spending an hour with or you're not hating the person that you, you're putting your trust in. Right. And I've always said to people, I go, listen, if you're not happy with your with your trainer, you got to tell me. You know, whether it's because they're, they're late, whether they're not listening to you, whether they're on the phone while they're, they're training you, anything like that, you got to tell me because you're paying good money for them to pay attention to you, mm -hmm. right? You want to make sure that you know what you find important, what you need, and then see if you can get it and shop around. I'd say maybe two or three trainers get a, you know, interview them because they are interviewing for a job. That's my recommendation. Just get to know them. Yeah, and I think more and more everything is going online. Um, and so if someone's not able to get into a gym or they're they're just not mentally ready to be at the gym, I think that's a huge thing to overcome, especially for women, is feeling comfortable in the weight section in the gym. And I, I know that having the authority of having a personal trainer there with you can be very helpful. Yeah. Just having them there makes you feel like you belong there more than if you were to go on your own. Sorry, the point of that question was if someone is starting in their home, getting ready to move on to the gym and they want to work with an online trainer, how would you recommend they find them? That's pretty tough, but like it, pretty tough in the sense that you can find a whole bunch of trainers on Instagram, right? On social media. How to sift through that? That's tough. Um, what I would do is, and, and, the, and if you look at my Instagram, like my, my Instagram isn't very showy. Um, it's, you know, basically me working out, me doing my thing. Um, my captions will often touch upon why I'm doing what I'm doing, or it'll touch upon a conversation that I may have had surrounding fitness. I, I would creep a person's page, really, right? Take a look and see if their philosophy really kind of aligns with, with your philosophy. Um, I've got a couple of buddies that I still talk to. We train similar in some aspects and on other aspects we don't. 
I got a friend of mine who doesn't believe in stretching. He thinks it's 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 a waste of time. He's read these articles. He's gone to these to, to these uh, workshops, and he's come back. He's like, it's useless. I'm like, okay, that's cool. But if you're an individual who likes doing yoga and you want to find a trainer, you're probably not going to want to train with that guy because he's going to tell you to stop doing yoga and lift heavier weights. Versus someone who who's who's then saying, okay, well, you know gonna baby you right if, it, if they're talking to want to baby you and this and that then how are you going to progress as well right so you got to kind of take a look at their their programming even someone who trains themselves and they're putting up their own programs you want to see that they're pushing themselves right because the, the truth of the matter is if you're trying to improve you're trying to adapt if you're trying to adapt that means you're 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 subjecting yourself to something that's challenging and hard and if the guy that you're guy or girl that you're looking at on Instagram is like repping stuff out and everything, then you're probably like, okay, they're just doing this for show. They probably just want this for their ego. I want to see someone who's actually like working hard because I want them to put that onto me. Mm. At least that's how I see it, right? Absolutely. Um, I know when I was looking for someone to help me with my bikini competition, I kind of settled at first because I couldn't find a good match for me. Um, and it was just a very difficult relationship from the start. And it was kind of like, I knew it would be because I knew that I was still looking around for a different trainer. I eventually I found you and I'm very grateful that I did, but I think the lesson, <laughs> the lesson learned there is truly like, if it's not a good fit, it's not a good fit. And just staying in that relationship because you've invested time or money in it, is not going to benefit you in the long run. It's just, it's not going to work out. So if it doesn't feel good, it's not good. Um, and to really work to find someone who is a better fit for you. That was what I learned from that situation. Yeah, a relationship is a relationship, right? Whether it's intimate, familial, colleagues, you know, it, business, right? So you, you want to be able to be free to communicate, right? And working with you, working with others, I've always said, like, be honest with me. You know, you want to question me? That's cool. I actually rather you question me than keep it to yourself and go fishing around for the answers. You know, why am I doing this exercise? Well, because of this. And if I can give you a sound reason, then, you know, I'm not just, you know, going into a magazine and say, oh, JC sh should do this because this looks cool. Like, you know, there's a rhyme and reason as to why I'm going to prescribe specific exercises, right? Or sets or rest periods and whatnot. It's important to, to, to understand that this is a relationship, business or not, and you're putting your trust, your health, your physical self in the hands of someone, right? A professional. Mm -hmm. So, you know, by the same token, that professional should be professional enough to say, you know what, this isn't working out. That's the unfortunate part about being a personal trainer in this industry. It's feast or famine. So you want to collect as many clients as you can, right? Which I can appreciate, but to whose detriment? To your client's detriment because are you giving them the attention that they want or they need really yeah excellent was there anything else you wanted to bring up in terms of getting started on a fitness journey i think it's important to understand that your body isn't going to move like your neighbors i think it's important to, to to understand that the weight loss that you're hoping to achieve is not going to come off again like your neighbors um there's so many moving parts there's your lifestyle, there's your genetics, there's your habits, um, then there's your just physical ability, right? And so, like I said, with the help of a trainer 
or or a coach, someone that's overseeing your programming, at the very least, you should have someone in that person that can say to you, okay, you're not ready. Okay, you are ready. Like I said, take it into consideration what what they're doing, what you as a client are doing throughout the day is important. If any of you have followed me or have creeped my page, you'll see every once in a while, I'll throw some videos of my of my boys doing kettlebell swings. And I've taken to that, especially as soon as school started, they're doing online. Now they're sitting in front of a desk the entire day, right, for school. And then on top of that, they still want to play their video games. So they're sitting, you know, all day. And they're not as active as they could be. Uh, I don't know about anywhere else, but here with my boys, their breaks are very, very short, maybe 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes. Their lunch hour is an hour, but that's an hour that they want to decompress. So usually at the end of school, instead of letting them go play, I say, let's go come outside and we're going to do a quick little 10 minute workout. And, you know, they'll, they'll him and haw and complain. But at the end of it, they do feel better. I know they feel better. They sleep better. And, and it's something as simple as kettlebell swings. And I'm getting my six-year-old. My, my six-year-old has been kettlebell swinging since he was four. So it is this, the, one of the easiest things to, to learn. Um, but it's, it's one of the hardest things to teach, if that makes any sense, for most people. Um, I feel like, like I'm really good at teaching them. I love teaching them because I think it opens doors to a whole new way of training. And so going back to how do we get started, you know, something as simple as learning how to do a kettlebell swing wouldn't be such a bad idea because it does address all the weaknesses, right? Your posterior chain, your upper back, lower back, your glutes, your hamstrings, everyone has weak posterior chain. Kettlebell swings will fix that. So if you're sitting at a desk all day, do 100 swings a day, sounds like a lot. It's not, not if you're doing 10, 10 rep increments. So my boys, they train for 10 minutes after school, 10 swings every minute on the minute. Easy. Yeah, I think that's an excellent way to get started. I know that I personally had trouble with the movement at first um, and definitely sent, I think, like 20 different videos that morning you were trying to show me um, how to do my kettlebell swings correctly. Um, So again, I think it's just so important to make sure that you either working with someone or you have the ability to do the movement correctly. Otherwise, it's just not going to be helpful. I think uh, I think people fail to realize that another aspect of a good trainer is being able to articulate what they're wanting you to do. In my experience, I've found that my clients have a different language as well. Again, communication, the key to any language. I remember this one gentleman, I, want, I would want to know whether or not the weight I had, had given him was appropriate. So I'd look at his face, couldn't read it. He didn't look tired. So I would say, so how was that? And he'd be like, medium. And so medium doesn't tell me anything, right? If he said hard, I'd be like, okay, good. And then I'd ask, well, was it hard or very hard? So I, I'd be trying to identify what he was trying to say. Eventually, I learned that medium meant he could go heavier. But again, this is something that people need to understand that you as a client need to be able to articulate what you're trying to say. But at the same time, your trainer needs to be able to articulate what they want you to do. So something as simple as, yeah, kettlebell swing. It's a hip hinge. It's no different than a, than a deadlift. You know, I've seen lots of strength coaches prescribe that, and then I see these 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 athletes going over there to swing the kettlebell, and I'm like, "What are you doing?" And it's funny because they'll look at me like, "I can deadlift more than you. What do you know?" Okay, that's cool. You know, and I'll walk away, right? 
it, it is important to be able to identify where you're lacking, be humble enough to say, I need some help. And then, yeah, implement it, right? You know, and I've, I've always tell, told people, if it's a sharp pain, that is bad. If it's a dull pain, it's probably not that bad. And it's probably more to do with muscle fatigue. Because again, if you're starting, your muscles aren't used to it. Mm. So if it's a dull pain, it's okay. Pay attention to it. Stop and take a break if you need to, or stop and come back to it on another day. But again, this is where coaching or a trainer does help because, you know, a lot of people think, you know, do still do subscribe to the, you know, no pain, no gain or, or, you know, go big or go home. And the truth of the matter is, it's sometimes it's not always. Yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Awesome. Well, I think that's really great. I think a lot of people take away, um, you know, just working with someone can be super helpful, especially in starting your journey and just making sure you're mentally ready for it and how it is going to change your life in all aspects, not just your physical fitness and ability. Um, so I hope this was helpful for people. I want to encourage everyone to rate, review and subscribe if you haven't already. And where can people find you, Brian? You can find me on Instagram at pt.briancruz, B-R-I-A-N-C-R-U-Z, in case anyone misspelled the last time. All right. And you can find me at Lady Carnivory. Thank you guys so much. And we'll see you all in the next one. Okay, Thank bye. you.